There was a phrase when I was a kid that people would use when they wanted you to not do something. And the phrase that they would say is, if you do that, whatever it was that they didn't want you to do, that's going to stunt your growth. Anybody ever hear that phrase? It's going to stunt your growth. You ever hear that? Like they would say, hey, you know what? If you drink coffee, that's going to stunt your growth, son, right? If you smoke cigarettes, that's going to stunt your growth, right? Whatever they didn't, if you eat too much licorice, it's going to stunt your growth. Whatever they want, didn't want you to do, they would tell you that it would stunt your growth because they know, right, that kids are very, very excited about growing. Kids are always excited about how tall are they. They want you to draw their line, the, the, the height of their line on the, on the wall. They're always backing up to each other to see who's the tallest, you know. My, my three-year-old, literally the week after he turned three, somebody asked him how old he was. He goes, I'm three, but I'm almost four. Um, and so I was like, you're right, 12 more months, you're going to be there. It's just fantastic, right? But like he's, all of our, they're obs- kids are obsessed with growing. They're like always ready. They want to go to the next grade. They want to get a little bit taller. They want to be a baller. You know, they want to, they, 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 they're just always like fixated on this idea of, of, of growing, right? And so this, this little phrase worked with me when I was a kid. People would say, if, if you do that, it's going to stunt your growth. And I'd be like, I don't want to stunt my growth. I want every little square centimeter that I can get, you know. Uh, and, and, and so I, I believed them. And so I wouldn't do those things, right? I don't do that. I tell my kids the truth. I tell them it'll put hair on their chest if they drink coffee and stuff. But um, that was such a dad joke that it's like, eh, it's just so lame. Um, but, but the thing is, we, have, we all have this, when we're little kids, we have a desire to grow physically, but as we get older, we start to develop a desire to grow internally. We start to develop a desire to grow in the various areas of our life in which we are engaged. So if, for me, I'm a pastor, I love being a pastor, but one of my primary goals as a pastor is to grow as a pastor, to become a better pastor. So I'll go to conferences and I'll go hang out with other pastors who have been around longer than me, who have done this longer than me, so that I can develop and grow in my calling as a pastor. That's what I want to do. I long to grow as a pastor. In my personal life, I long to grow as a husband and as a father. It's just something I want to do. I, I want to get better at it. I want to, oh, as the years go by, I'd like to not stay the same and I'd like to not regress I'd like to grow. I'd like my wife to go, hey, you're a better husband now than you were, you know, last week. You're a better husband, you know. Put your socks in the laundry. You do all kinds, you know. But, but we, all des- we all have this desire to grow, and it's, it's an innate desire in every single one of us. The reason that a lot of you students are in school is because you actually have a desire to grow in your life, to grow in your career, to grow beyond where you are right now. And so you put yourself in situations where you can grow. Some of you that are married or you have kids or you're in school or you're, you're even on your job and your career, you desire to grow. You put yourself in situations where you can grow. This is a natural, normal part. It's basically implanted in us by God from the beginning that we have this innate desire to grow. It's, it's growth means health. Healthy things grow. So healthy trees grow. Healthy businesses grow. Healthy churches grow. Things that are healthy grow. And so we have this desire in ourselves to grow. Uh, One person that studied this was a a psychologist, and his name was Maslow. And he wrote this, he made this this grid and and this sort of, this pyramid that some of you have probably seen in school. What he said is that we all have basic human needs. 
He said that we start off with physical needs. We all, just, we all have to eat. We need water. We need to sleep. You know, these are basic needs to keep us survive, to, to survive. When those needs are met, then we have safety needs. That, that means we need security. We need to not be in situations where we're being harmed or hurt. Then above that, once we get those situated, we have a need for belongingness and love. We have a need for friendship. We have a need to feel like we're a part of something. And then once that happens, then we have what he calls esteem needs. This is a, a need to actually feel like we're accomplishing something in life, that we're doing something um, worthwhile and of merit and of value. He said, but then the ultimate at the very peak of this pyramid is what he calls self-actualization needs. And what that really means is we have this desire to fulfill the potential in us. We want to grow. We want to get better at what we're doing. We want to get better at being husbands and wives and friends and students and, and, and you know, in our career. We want to grow in every single one of these areas. And what they, they, they've discovered is that these lower needs, these, these four tiers on the bottom, those are called deficiency needs. What that means is you need it until you get it and then you don't need it. So like you're hungry until you eat and then you go, okay, that need is totally satisfied. So I no longer feel the need to eat, right, at, at this time. Whereas the very top one is, a, is what they call a growth need or a grow need. And what that means is the more you experience it, the more you want it. The more you begin to experience spiritual growth in your life, the more you go, oh my gosh, I want more of that. You don't get filled. You keep wanting more. You keep wanting more of that. The more, David, in one of his Psalms, he actually took this, this pyramid and basically shifted it upside down because he said, like the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you, God. What he's saying is, like, like my spiritual need is, is, almost like, is almost like a physical need. As a deer wants water, my soul longs after you. So he actually turned the pyramid upside down. It's like, for me, growing in God, growing in my relationship with God is even more important than having something to eat. More important than having something to drink. I desire so badly to grow. And this is all of us. We have this innate, built-in hunger to grow. It's the way God made us. It's who we are, right? And not only did God make us this way, not only did he put this desire in us, he created an environment in which we can grow. And today, in this series, in part three of How a Body Works, I want to explore with you what the Bible says about the environment in which we grow, in which we flourish. If you were able to say, God, what is the one area, what is the one place, what is the one environment in which I can grow the most? Wouldn't you want to know that? Because he tells us in his word what that is. So let me, let me read this scripture to you. And what I love about this scripture is it's, it's Paul writes these, these scriptures and they're they're, it's like long sentences, right? But I'm going to try to break it up so that you can understand what the Bible says, what God says about the environment in which we are able to grow personally and then together. He says, he says this. He says, Christ gave himself, uh, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Why? Why did he give us these people? To equip his people for works of service, right? So this is, this, is a, this is my job description. My job description, I'm a pastor. My job is to equip the saints for ministry, to equip God's people for works of service. That's my job. 
That's what I'm doing right now. My goal is to help equip you to do works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and we become mature. We all grow. Attaining, he said, to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That means until we really, really become like Christ. We are a body of people and we become more and more like Christ when we grow together. He says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, he says, speaking the truth in love. Look at this. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, look at this, the whole body joint, joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What he is saying in this passage, in this, this very long sentence is, is we grow when we grow together. Growth happens in relationship. Growth happens when a community of people come together, serve one another, like ligaments and, and, and joints and muscles and bones all growing together, all working together. That is the environment in which we grow. So I want to title this message today, It's Grow Time. Somebody help me with this. It's Grow Time. Tell somebody, it's not show time? Yeah, oh, that was good. That was Way better than the first service. Um, it, and the premise of this, the, the, I'm going to give you the, the big idea, the main point, the whole, the whole Megillah right here of this whole sermon, right? And that is that real growth happens in real relationships, right? Real growth, where does real growth happen? Real growth happens in real relationship with other people. Now, if you're like me, you may wonder, God, why did you make it so that real growth happens in real relationship? Why can't I grow on my own? Why can't I just be off on my own, read a book, and then grow? Why are you saying that real growth, why are you saying that every joint, every ligament, everything working together, and that's how the body grows, that's how we grow, right? Why is that? We used to have a, a little rhyme when I was a kid, and maybe you've heard this rhyme. People would go like this. They would go, this is the church, and this is the steeple. Remember this? Open the doors. Where's all the people, right? Then you would go like this, and you'd go, this is the church, this is the steeple. Open the doors. There's all the people. Remember this? Um, no? All right. Uh, Great rhyme, very catchy, very cute. I'm sure you all be doing this all afternoon with each other, right? Fundamentally flawed premise. Fundamentally flawed. Because the premise of the rhyme is that the church is somehow distinct from the people who populate the church. This is the church, this is the people, right? But that's not what the Bible teaches us about the body of Christ. That's not what the Bible teaches us about the church. When the Bible uses the term church, it uses this Greek word, ekklesia. And what that means is it never means a building. It never means a house of worship. It never means a place to gather. It means a group of people 
coming together, serving one another, loving one another, eating together, praying together, reading the scriptures together. It's, it's always in reference to a group of people coming together. That is the body of Christ. That's where we grow. We grow in community. This building is a movie theater. There is nothing sacred about this building. This building is not the church. You are the church. We are the church. We are the body. And the one place that God has built in our lives for us to truly grow is when we are in each other's lives like like muscles and ligaments and bones jointly tied together, doing the work of Christ together, building each other up and growing individually. So, why does he make us do it in this corporate setting? Why does he require that real growth happens in real relationship? The f- I, I, I believe that the first reason or one of the primary reasons that, that he designed it like that is that community and relationships require authenticity. It is easy to be fake when you're alone. It is hard to be fake when you are in real relationships with other people. I heard a story um, about a guy who, um, who just needed to get real, okay? And, and he, was, he was driving down the road, and he apparently was weaving back and forth, and a police officer was behind him and, and pulled the guy over, and the guy got out of the car, and he was kind of stumbling around a little bit. And the officer said, sir, um, uh, you know, I, I pulled you over because you, you're weaving, and you, you, know, you appear to be under the influence, he said, so I'm going to have to ask you to, to, to take this breathalyzer test so we can find out if you've, you know, if you've been drinking. So the guy goes, well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry officer, but I, I can't take the breathalyzer. I just can't do it. And the, guy, the officer said, well, why not? He said, well, because I'm, I'm an asthmatic. So if I take that breathalyzer, you know, I'm, I'm liable to just seize up. I won't be able to breathe and just, I, I can't take the breathalyzer. So the officer says, okay. All right, well, I'll tell you what, why don't we do this? Um, I'm going to have to take you into the station and we'll just, we'll do a blood draw and we'll check your blood alcohol content and see, you know, where you're at with this. The guy says, well, I'm sorry, officer, I, I can't do that. I, I just can't, can't go and, and, and get my blood drawn. He goes, well, why not? Well, you see, officer, I'm a hemophiliac. And um, so if you draw my blood, then uh, you know, who knows what will happen. I'll bleed. I'll be, it's all messed up. I can't do it. So the officer says, all right, well, listen, then um, I'm going to ask you to to just walk down this line, putting one foot in front of the other. And the man says, well, I'm sorry, officer. I'm, you know, I just can't do that. I, I'm afraid I can't do that. Officer says, all right, now, now why can't you do that? Like, it's just a simple task. He goes, well, officer, it's because I'm just so drunk. I can't walk down that line. <laughs> so sometimes we got to get real, right? Sometimes we need a little authenticity. Thank you for laughing at that, by the way. Um, I worked on that all week. Uh, so relieved. Uh, this is what happens in relationships. In relationships, we are required, if we're in real meaningful relationships with other people, we are required to start getting real. And when we start getting real with ourselves, that's when we begin to grow. We all have different ways of interacting with the world. And um, researchers that have studied how people interact with each other have found that it can sort of be broken up into four different Four different aspects, right? The first one is what they call the public arena. This is the way that you and I relate to everybody. This is the stuff about you that you know and that you let other people know, right? Your name, 
you know, what you do for work, uh, you know, where do you live, like what city do you live in, like basic information. You come to a church environment like this, and you're, you, this is your public arena, right? This is your public face. You're going, hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Okay, good. You know, you're not telling everybody all the details about yourself when you're in your public arena, right? You're not going, oh, great. I just got in the, you know, I just yelled at my kids on, in the minivan on the way here. So how are you doing, right? No, you're just like, praise God. Everything's great. How are you doing? Oh, praise the Lord. All right. And then you're just moving on, right? That's your public arena. And that's fine because, you know, you can't share everything with everybody, right? But then the next level is what they call the mask. The mask is what you know about yourself, but you don't let other people know about you. Okay, the mask is the mask is the thing, the things in your life that you know, but you don't let other people know. And it's fine to not let everybody know everything about you. In fact, it's probably good to not let everybody know everything about you. But if you don't open up your heart, if you don't have a group of people with whom you are in real relationship, where you can open up and be real and take the mask off and say, hey, this is something I'm struggling with. This is a challenge that I'm personally facing. This is a problem in my life that I need some help with. If you don't have people like that in your life, you are going to be capped in your ability to grow because of the, of the problems and the issues and the challenges that you're not willing to face. You're not willing to reveal. King David put it like this. He said, when I was silent about the sin, about the things in my life that I didn't want anybody to know. When I was silent about that, he said, my bones rotted inside of me. I started getting eaten alive. The power of sin is in the secret, right? Some, somebody said that, that you are only as sick as your secrets. The things that you keep inside and you do not confess to somebody else, they will eat you alive. But then David said, but then I confessed Right? And I renounced and I found freedom and I found forgiveness. So one of the things that happens in real relationship is you find people with whom you can open up and you can be real and you can express who you really are. I have, I have people in my life who know, who I just open up and I tell them everything about me. Right? Everybody needs that because if you don't, then, then those things will overpower you. They will overtake you. Some of you guys are getting so, like, looking so serious right now. Are you with me on this? You've got to have some people that you can open up and be real with, right? The third aspect is what they call the blind spot. This is the part of you that you don't know, but other people do know, right? This is the stuff that, that you don't, you're t- blithely unaware of your attitude in that way, right? You just don't know that you're being rude every time that you talk to that person, right? You don't realize that you're always interrupting that. Do you ever, does anybody have a person in their life, I mean, probably nobody here, but does anybody have a person in their life that like drama follows them everywhere? Yeah? Are they sitting next to you right now? Don't raise your hand, don't raise your hand. But like, but like, it's like, Every time they talk to you, they're complaining because there's so much craziness and drama in your life, in their life. If they have people in their life that know them well and they're in real relationship with them, they'll, they'll grab them by the shoulders and go, the drama is you, <laughs> right? It's you. You're the one generating, right? Because we all have blind spots. And unless we are in real relationship with people who can point out our blind spots, we're in trouble. There was a guy I met this week. He was a pastor totally great guy, really well put together, always super sharp dressed and whatever. And I was talking to him and clean shaven. And, but he had missed 
a spot shaving. Like, it looked like not just that morning. It looked like maybe for the last week or something, you know. He had this hairy spot of beard, beardness, a small little beard popping out of this. I know it wasn't a style. It was just a like that. And so the whole time I'm talking to him, I'm trying to look him in the eyes, but my eyes keep going down to his little puffed. And if I had known him better, I'd have gone, hey, bro, you missed a spot all month. You know what I mean? Like I would have, because I know that eventually when he sees this or hears this video, uh, he'll go, ah, but, but I didn't have that kind of relationship with him. We weren't in that kind of relationship where I could just say, hey, you got something wrong with you, right? We all need to be in relationships where people can tell us the things that we don't know about ourselves, right? You got to have somebody speaking into your life in a real way, and you got to be listening to them and hearing them because there are things about you that you don't know about you, but other people do, all right? And that only happens in real relationships. You cannot grow unless you're in real relationships. And then the fourth quadrant, the fourth aspect of this is what they call the potential. This is the stuff that you don't know about yourself and nobody else knows about you either. The only person that knows is God. But the only way that you can discover it is by living it out in community, in relationship with other people. When you are developing and praying with somebody and spending time with somebody and serving somebody, then you start to discover gifts and strengths and abilities and talents that you didn't know existed and nobody else knew existed. All right. That's what they call the potential. Uh, And so all of this, all of this happens in relationship. You cannot grow unless you are in relationship. You cannot understand your blind spots. You will never see your blind spots unless you've got people in your life that are being authentic and real with you. And you will never, you will never be able to take off the mask unless you are in real relationship with people with whom, that you trust and who are willing to speak into your life and you're willing to open up to. That's why the scripture says that we, the only way that we grow is when we're all jointly together, working together, growing together, building each other up in the fullness of Christ. So the first thing is, is that, it's that authenticity, right? The second thing that you get in community is empathy. Not only do you begin to understand yourself, but if you really want to grow, you have to come to a rich, deep understanding of other people. You have to come to an understanding of their experiences, the things that they are going through, the things that they have seen in life, the the issues that they have been challenged with, right? It's really hard to judge somebody when you're really close to them, right? It's really hard to be condescending to someone that you know really well and you know their stuff and you know what they've been through and you've, you've spent some time with them and you've begun to understand who they are, right? Jesus tells the parable that we all know. It's, a, it's, it's, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Even if you've never been in church ever, you've heard that phrase, you know what that means. Jesus tells this story about uh, a man who was beaten and robbed on the way to uh, on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he's left for dead, and he's lying on the side of the road. And you know the story. A, a priest comes by and ignores him, and a Levite comes by, another religious person comes by, ignores him. And then the scripture says, but a Samaritan, a Samaritan comes by, a person from a different ethnicity, a different culture, different race, different religion, comes by and helps this guy, right? And what is fascinating is that there's a detail in the story that I think a lot of times we miss. But the detail is the key to understanding what is happening in the story because Jesus uses this phrase throughout the story. He says that when the priest came by, he passed on the other side of the road, right? In other words, he was far away from the man who was hurt. When the Levite came by, he passed, the scripture says, on the other side of the road. 
When the Samaritan came by, the scripture says, he went over to the guy. And it's only when you're close to somebody that you you can begin to understand the pain that they've experienced. It's only when you're close to somebody that you can start to witness the struggles that they're having. It's only when you're close to somebody you can begin to understand and empathize with their situation, right? As long as you remain distant, as long as you remain outside of relationship, you you will be condescending and judgmental and looking down your nose at people because you're not close enough to understand what they've been through. Are you with me? You're not close enough to go, oh man. In fact, the scripture says that they, were, that, that, that they left him for dead, right? And when you're far away from somebody who's been left for dead, you might think they're dead. You just might go, it's not even worth it. They're, 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 there's no hope there. And the priest and the Levite did that. But somebody came over and said, you know what? There's a little life left here. I'm going to try to help this guy, right? So that only happens in community. That only happens when you are in real relationship with other people. Only then can you begin to understand where somebody else is coming from. Only then can you begin to, to listen, judgmentalism falls away when we get in real relationship with other people. Racism falls away when we get in real relationship with other people. Uh, the, the bigotry and hatred and all the stuff that we see in the world, that stuff falls away when we get in real relationship with people. And because then we start to understand each other. We start to communicate with each other in rich, powerful, and meaningful ways. That's why God says you can't grow unless you're in real relationship. That's why he says the body, it's a body. You don't get to grow. You don't get to be over on your own and, and grow. You've got to be a part of the body, jointly held together, every ligament, every sinew, every muscle, every fiber, right? And then the third, the third reason, I believe, that God has us grow in community is because that's where we put our faith into action. It happens in community. It happens when we are with each other. Jesus' brother, James, said this. He said, be not hearers of the word only, but also be doers of the word, because otherwise you will deceive yourself. In other words, if we are just gaining knowledge about the word of God, right, what we become, we become stunted students. It'll stunt your growth. It'll stunt your growth if you do not get in community. That's for real. And it'll put hair on your chest. So, but, but, but the Bible is saying, look, if you want to experience real growth, then you've got to take what you've learned and you've got to put it into action, right? I, I like sports. I'm a sports fan, you know, and I also, I like to listen to commentary about sports because there are a lot of people that are way more knowledgeable about sports than me. They got all the, all the stats at their fingertips. They got all the analysis, right? You know, and they're the armchair quarterback. But when you get to find out who they are, they're just like, they're like a dude with a beer gut sitting there watching TV, right? And just going, this is what's going because they're not in the action, right? They're not, it's one thing to analyze something from afar. It's another thing to actually be in the game right? And, and unless you get into the game, you don't really know what's going on. You might have ideas. You might have a, a head full of knowledge. You can be puffed up with knowledge, right? But not be productive. You can have a lot of know, but not a lot of grow, all right? You can get to where you, you have an understanding of things, but you haven't grown because you haven't lived it out with anybody. You've never put it into practice. And, and Jesus is saying, look, I want you to put this into action. One of the beautiful things about our church, and I'm so grateful for it, is, and I'm going to close with this, is that when we first started this church, almost six years ago, do you realize it's almost our anniversary? Celebration Sunday is coming up. It's amazing. Almost six years. Amen. 
But when we started this church, I was working another job full-time. And I was pa- pastoring the church part-time. And by the grace of God, what happened in that environment, which was stressful and difficult at the time, but actually turned out to be a wonderful thing that happened in our church, is that people said, hey, you know what? You know, he's working full-time somewhere else. I'll step in and I'll, I'll take the lead on that. Or I'll step in and I'll serve right here. I'll step in and I'll, and I'll start to, to help out in this area. And so a culture developed in our church where people said, you know what? I'm going to dig in. I'm going to serve. I'm going to lead. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do ministry, right? And that is exactly what the Bible, that's exactly what God contemplates with his body. He says, I've given you pastors to equip the people of God for works of ministry. And that's what you're doing. I didn't even know that that's what I was doing. I was just working another job. And so God somehow said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this job to have you do what I designed you to do anyway. And that's, that's what we are. We are, we're a body. We're a community. And so our, our challenge is to not allow ourselves to, to drift off and be alienated parts from each other, but to be one in real relationship with one another. If Jesus could have rewritten the child's poem, it wouldn't have been catchy, but it would have been true. And he would have said, this is the church, the end. <laughs> right? That never would have caught on, would it? But that's the truth. It's you, it's me, serving together, loving together, getting in real, rich, powerful community with one another, growing together in love, every joint, every ligament, everybody working together to build up the body of Christ so that God may be glorified. Today, there are two ways I want to invite you to do this. Two ways. One is, if you're... If you haven't been trained as a life group leader and you're, you're considering it, this is a great day to do it. Adam Gronwald will be in the uh, lobby at the end of service. I'll have a sign. He'll be available. Uh, and then he'll take you. There's child care. There's food. All of that. But consider that. Consider being part of building the body. Consider being part of inviting some people into your life, developing real relationship with people I got to tell you, last semester of, of life groups was for me the moment that I got it. I went, wow, this is actually where we grow. This is the greenhouse for spiritual growth in relationship with each other. We can't have it when we're all here together. It's just too much. We're all in the arena. This is our public arena phase. We got we to get it in, in the small group. The other way that I want to invite you is if you haven't done our 301 session, you can come and do that today. That's where it's a spiritual gift discovery Where does God have you? What are your strengths? What are your gifts? What are your talents? You can meet our growth track team. Is our growth track team um, right here in the house right now? They'll be in the lobby. Here we go. There's Mark. He'll be out there. Um, Growth track team will meet you in the lobby. They can take you upstairs, food and child care. But I just want to encourage you, take that step. If If you are a, if you're sort of on the periphery and you're going, man, I'm kind of getting stuck. I'm kind of spinning my wheels in life. Then this is your opportunity. Dig in because this is where you grow. You grow in relationship. Real growth happens in real relationship. And if ever the world needs to see a unified body of Christ, if ever the world needs to see a a unified body of Christ, it's right now. It is right now. Right now. Showtime is over. Okay? It's grow time. Let me pray for you. Father, right now, I just ask that your 
Spirit, descend upon us in our hearts, each and every one of us, God. I pray, oh Lord God, that you would be here with us today. That you would speak into people's hearts and encourage them, invite them, challenge them into the areas that you have designed for them. God, I pray, Lord, that you would, that you would move in people's hearts today, even today, and encourage them, Lord, to take the next step on their spiritual journey. That may mean becoming part of the body of Christ. People who have just, just stayed away because they've been hurt or they've been wounded in some way and they just, wanna, they just don't know if they ever want to come back and be a part of a church. I want to I ask, Lord God, that you would invite them in, that you would move them in, that you would give them the courage and the comfort to step in and make a commitment to Christ today. God, those of us that are in the body of Christ, help us, Lord God, to do our part to find a place to serve, to find a place to grow, to find a, a, a group to be a part of, find a group to lead. Help us, Lord God, to step in deeper into what you have for us, each and every one of us. Draw us deeper into you through the relationships that we have with the parts of your body. All of us fitly joined together, God, serving you, loving you, honoring you through our love for one another. Father, I pray that you would help us to enter into real relationships and experience real growth even today. God, I pray that you receive all the honor, all the praise, and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.